Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite, and very special guest, friend of the show, uh, formerly of Rutgers Rivals, now on, on three, Alex Gleitman. Alex, thanks for coming back, man. It's chopping it up for some Ohio State Rutgers talk. Hey, guys. Excited. This is always my favorite game of the year. Next year, it won't be played, actually, so that's a little sad. Yeah. Um, I could go the whole season rooting strictly for Rutgers and strictly for Ohio State independently, <laughs> which will be nice, but... Um, would love for them to play in the Big Ten Championship. But, uh, yeah, always always a fun time, um, you know, going to the game this weekend, bringing my uh, four-and-a-half, almost five-year-old son to his first college football game. So really excited. looks like the weather is going to be good, and I think it's going to be a good football game. So excited. What uh, what color scarlet will he be donning this weekend? I'm just curious. They both look the same to me. So, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Will there be more gray or more white as the secondary color? Look, I gotta be honest. I, I like you know. I like to. I like both programs. I like to talk objectively about both programs on here. But I'm a two-time graduate of Ohio State. My wife went to Ohio State. My brother went to Ohio State. My brother-in-law went to and played basketball for Ohio State. So, like, uh, you know, make your own. So you're from saying that. there's a chance? <laughs> so um, you know, you say two-time grad. I am a two-time grad of You and Dabo Sweeney have something in common. What's that? Two, two degrees. You and Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you, I'm not going to argue with Tyler from Spartanburg, but <laughs> I'll, uh... <laughs> oh, what a shit show. All right. So let's talk no, about Ohio State to date. I think we were talking about this beforehand, but this has kind of been a bizarro Ohio State team. Like typically they are the juggernaut offense led by multiple first round pick receivers. They have two bookend tackles. They have a first round pick at what a quarterback. You know, if you go back, they've had a first round pick in CJ Stroud, first round pick JT or sorry, Justin Fields. They had a first round pick in Dwayne Haskins. You can go on and on. They have a long history of producing quarterbacks. This year feels like the team is led by the defense. Just kind of talk about how this season's gone to date for Ohio State and kind of how this team is different than any in recent memory. Yeah, it's well, they still have the two first round picks at receiver. That's true. Um, but other than that, it's it's a lot different. Um, it is it is weird to watch this Ohio State team under Ryan Day. It's not what we're used to at all. Um, there's probably a few different reasons for that. I think the biggest reasons, though. Um, they're breaking in a new quarterback, and at the same time, not the most ideal combination, they're breaking in a new offensive line. Um, they do return both starting guards from last year's team. Um, Matt Jones at right guard from Erasmus Hall and left guard Donovan Jackson, former five-star recruit, who I would say has not lived up to that five-star billing uh, at all. Matt has actually been pretty good. Um, but they replace – a first, you know, first round pick in Paris Johnson at left tackle. They replace uh, a guy who's starting for the Cleveland Browns at right tackle in Dewan Jones, and they um, another guy who got drafted, a Jersey guy Luke Whipler from from SJR um, at center, who is one, regarded as one of the best college football centers in the country last year, and he's the backup for the Browns right now. So 
um, that's a lot to replace. And at the same time, having to replace quarterback, a guy who really hasn't <clears throat> played much. Um, there was a competition, Kyle McCord, um, South Jersey guy. His dad, Derek, played for Rutgers mm-hmm. um, a while back. Kyle played at St. Joe's Prep in Philly. He he did win the job. And he's, you know, I, to me, he's, at least early in the year, he looked at what I expected. He, he obviously had that comeback win against Notre Dame. And he's looked really good at times, but he's also looked – I thought he'd be a little bit further along, to be quite honest, at this point, um, you know, entering, you know, game nine of the season. Um, he's looked really good at times, and at other times he's just been inconsistent in games, some bad turnovers, uh, more so fumbles than interceptions. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he has had a sprained ankle that he's been dealing with kind of since that Notre Dame game. So – um, just the combination of those two teams has made this offense very just like clunky, like not full go, not a well-oiled machine. Um, they're not scoring almost every possession like you're used to seeing Ohio State offenses um, operate. But at the same time, and then the new clock rules on top of that, just adjusting to that, I think, has impacted. I think they're fine now, but in the beginning of the year, it was definitely impacting them a little bit. The defense, though, as you said, has been just absolutely outstanding. Um, I think they're averaging like 10, 10 points a game. They've, they've only aver- allowed 80 points through eight games so far. Um, just really, really good. They made some tweaks since last year, less susceptible to the big plays that hurt them against Michigan, Georgia, um, even Maryland a little bit, their, their second to last regular season game. And, um, you know, I think they found that balance of, of not being susceptible to those big plays, but also still being aggressive and flying around and making plays. So it's been weird to kind of see the defense carry this team. Um, they beat Notre Dame 17-14. They beat Penn State 20-12. to Those aren't scores I'm used to seeing from, from an Ohio State team under Ryan Day. So uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup this weekend when you talk about two defenses that I think are, are really good. And, you know, obviously uh, I'd say there's separation between the offenses, but it's not the Ohio State offense you're used to seeing coming to SHI Stadium. Yeah, starting with Kyle McCord, based on what you know, how close was that battle or did he just flat out win it? And how much did his connections with Marvin Harrison Jr. going to the same high school, all that blah, blah, blah relationship kind of play into it? Yeah, I think I think what it came down to really, and I I think Kyle always had the edge since the spring, but I think he was just like a consistent presence. Like his play was just consistently solid. Whereas Devin Brown, who was the backup, I don't know if he'll play this week or not. They, they had a little bit of a red zone package with him running the ball, but he, he got hurt a couple weeks back against Penn State. He's questionable for this weekend. But um, Devin was like, he'd have an incredible day of practice where it's like, whoa, like he is the real deal. And then like the next day it would be like a mediocre to subpar day of practice. And I think Ohio State just preferred that consistency. And so – as you got into camp, two weeks in, it was pretty close. I think the back two weeks of camp, it was pretty clear that Kyle McCord was was the guy. Um, obviously, the connection with Marvin helps a ton, although like I think I could probably throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. and, and be all right. Um, but, you know, having that connection, having that rapport, having the relationship that they do, I, I don't think it was the deciding factor, but it sure, sure, it plays into it. And I think it also played into how he's performing on an everyday basis. So... Um, you know, it's great to see those guys continue to have success. They're both great kids. And, um, you know, Kyle might be back next year. I don't know if Marvin will. Um, so they should enjoy this year while they have it. <laughs> oh, from my Giants perspective, I hope not. 
<laughs> he may be way cool. gone before the Giants pick. I was going to say, the Giants yeah, need to, to bottom out a lot weird. more than they have so far in order to get Marvin Harrison. I think they probably need to be a top three pick. Um, Don't doubt how bad we could be, okay? <laughs> yeah, you underestimate my power. Yeah. Um, so we kind of know the, the high-level guys on Ohio State's offense. Marvin Harrison Jr., Trevion Henderson's coming back, who is you know, arguably the best running back in the country at points last year when he was healthy. Uh, talk about some of the other players to watch and maybe some the biggest positions that concern you on the Ohio State offense. Yeah, I, I'm like mad at myself. I failed to mention like Trevion Henderson had been out since the Notre Dame game until last week against Wisconsin. And you saw, you know, the impact he had on that game. And the other guy who's been out since that uh, since that game as well is Emeka Ekbuka. Um, he's another he's projected to go in the first round after this year, junior receiver. Uh, they still do not have him. Um, he is supposed to. They're they're indicating that he will come back this week. Um, I don't know if he'll be full go if he does even play. I think it's going to be a little bit of a ramp up between, you know, they play Rutgers, they play Michigan State at home, they play Minnesota at home, and then they have to go to Michigan. So I think over the next three games, they'd really like to ramp him up and get him back to full go before that Michigan game. Um, he's dealing with, I believe it's an ankle injury. And, um, you know, he's definitely a guy to know if he plays because – not having those two guys on the field, and even just last week, not having a book on the field, I mean, it makes it easier for the defenses to obviously key in on a Marvin Harrison Jr. or Marvin and Travion and not have to worry about what Emeka Buka is doing from the slot. So that definitely has not helped the offense's growth and development, and I think getting both of those guys back healthy will be huge. Um, the other guy I think you, you got to know about um, is, I mean, there's a couple other guys, but Cade Stover, the tight end, Last week, he, he weirdly had no targets, no catches, but he is a Mackey Award watch guy. He has emerged as one of the best receiving tight ends in the country. A little cons- inconsistent as a blocker. He's a former defensive end linebacker who converted over. And so blocking, he's still – he's a very physical player, but just the technique and stuff like that, he's still kind of getting uh, getting his feet under him. Um, but he's, he's a guy you got to watch in the passing game. Um, I would also just say the other running backs, Chip Trainum. Um, has been has just been a good solid player for them. He scored the game winning touchdown against Notre Dame. He'll definitely play. And then a guy I'm curious to see if we. I think they were trying to redshirt him. Now Mayan Williams is out for the year. Dallin Hayden. Um, he played a few weeks back, um, and he was really really good. Um, he's he's a guy who who I would watch as well. Um, so I would say those are you know there's there's other guys Julian Fleming, Xavier Johnson, a um, few others who will be used. But I would say those are. Cade Stover and then the other backs are, are really going to be guys you see a lot tomorrow. Yeah, Stover really intrigues me for the sole fact that the matchup against Rutgers with with no Tyreen Powell now is is going to be interesting because you can't really put two Ray in coverage, so it's probably going to be Deion Jennings versus him, and Deion Jennings has given up 173 receiving yards on 22 catches this year, so it's like shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, he had zero targets catches last week against Wisconsin. Um, he G, uh, G. Scott Jr., who's a receiver that converted, um, you know, he had two catches. So I, I would imagine Ohio State trying to get those guys a little bit more involved this week. And as you said, mm-hmm. it seems like it's a good matchup for them to kind of take advantage of. Yeah. So talk about, I know we kind of mentioned some individual guys on Ohio State's offensive line. Typically, it's, you know, a huge strength of the offense. Would you say that it's the weakest point of the offense this year? thousand percent i mean josh simmons is one of the most the left tackle transfer from san diego state one of the more penalized offensive linemen in in college football he also his play has been up and down 
um, throughout the year. Josh Fryer at right tackle is a veteran and he's done really well in spot duty. He's kind of, he's had really good games. He's had mm, last week, I would say like not the best game. And then they're breaking in a new center, a sophomore, Carson Hinsman. I actually think he's been all right. Um, I, I, I don't really have, you know, th- there's some things left to be desired. He didn't have a great game in his home state of Wisconsin last week, but I think he's generally been okay. And we've seen the development with him. I think the tackles, it's not what we're used to seeing at Ohio state. And as I said, even Donovan Jackson, a former five-star recruit, um, second year starter, even played a bunch as a freshman. Um, he's a junior, like he has not played well. And, um, that is not, that was last year. That is this year. Um, and so I think there's, you know, Rutgers defensive front, I think is obviously probably the, uh, the, the best part about that defense and, and their strong suit. So I think that there's definitely matchups they can win. Um, I think bringing pressures, uh, tomorrow is something that the Rutgers should do. I, I just, there's not a ton of confidence in, in this group. I think, um, there's been improvements in, in various places, but I think that they're very susceptible to to uh to giving up some some big plays and 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 honestly again between the penalties and some of the negative plays due to the poor blocking they've really shot this offense in the foot like they've put them behind the put them behind schedule quite a bit matt jones just because obviously northeast guy erasmus hall intrigues me the most just for the sole fact that we've talked about him like over the past couple years and it didn't even seem like he was going to be a starter last year i think it was and then he ended up winning the job yeah you know he's I think he he had some and, and like I've talked to Danny Lamberg at Erasmus Hall about this. Like Matt's a great kid, and like I just like if he doesn't want to be motivated, like he's not always going to be motivated. He didn't maybe always have the best habits early in his career, and he just didn't put in the extra work that he needed. I think probably at some point it hit him like I'm never going to start here if I don't change change things yeah. around. And um, I'll also say I, I don't think he had the best relationship with their. Uh, old offensive line coach Greg Sedrara. I just don't think that their personalities meshed is the best way to put it, maybe, and styles of of, of Stud and, and and Matt Jones. And last year, Justin mm-hmm. Fry came over as the new offensive line coach, and I think it just made the world a difference for Matt. And as you said, he won that job as the starting right guard, decided to come back this year. Um, we thought maybe he'd slide inside to center because um, he has played some center, um, but they, they decided to keep him at guard. And, other than one game, um, he's played pretty well this year. Um, I think he's definitely set himself up to, to be, you know, a day two or day three draft pick. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the defense. Uh, we talked about it's a little bit of a bizarro team in terms of Ohio State because normally the <laughs> offense is leading everything. You're kind of just, you know, playing like a race with other teams or see who could score to basically like 50 points first. And it's normally Ohio State. Uh, the defense this year has been lights out for you. Would you just say, what would you attribute the defense's big step up? Is it a new coordinator? Is it just you guys have an experienced group? What, what would you pinpoint the defense's success on this year? I think it's, I think it's two. Th- so I think like Jim Knowles, who came in last year from Oklahoma State as the defensive coordinator, this is now year two for him. So a lot more comfortability with his system, a lot more of his familiarity with the players and the personnel and how to use them. Um, I also say, you know, you talked about the players. I do think, you know, they did get they did get some guys back, um, and uh, they they have a lot of returning veterans on this defense. That again, now are in year two of the same system, and they get better year over year. They're more comfortable with the system, and they can fly around and make plays and and think less and and play more. 
Um, so I think it's that. I also, you know, we talked about this before the show, but they kind of just changed their approach. Last year, Jim Knowles is a very aggressive coach by nature. And I think part of that is because, like, he was at Oklahoma State. He was at Duke. They He, like, had really good defenses there. But because they were kind of, like – middle tier when it comes to like the talent they had on their roster they had to be more aggressive when it came to like the blitzes and and just different things that they dialed up and i think jim like sometimes like you just have like you have the jimmies and joes you don't need to dial up all these crazy exotic blitzes and zero coverage blitzes that leave you susceptible over the top against these like really good teams and you saw last year Maryland, um, which was their 11th game, Michigan, which was their 12th game, and then Georgia in the college football playoff. They gave up a lot of big plays um, that led to scores and really kind of killed um, this team in in those – they won the Maryland game, but obviously the Michigan and the Georgia game. And they kind of adapted their approach this year to, um, like, allow less – big and explosive plays. I think they actually like lead the, I don't know how they define those metrics or whatever, a certain amount of yards or, you know, per play. But like, I think they actually like lead the country now in, in those against them or at least, at least amount against them. Um, and in the beginning of the year though, it, it almost like led to like a bend, but don't break defense. I think though, they've, they've kind of figured out the right formula to, to still be aggressive and still fly around and make plays and get off the field on third downs when they need to, while not allowing those explosive plays. So I would say like those three things are probably the reason this defense is so good. And then like, look, it's Ohio state has top five recruiting classes every single year, if not top two, top three, like Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's. The talent they have is really, really good. Um, I think that's a reason why the offensive line, they haven't recruited that well there. And that's maybe that's why that room isn't as, as good as the rest of the units on the team. But, you know, those those things all together, I think, are what makes this defense really good. I'm still like, you know, what happens when they play Michigan? What happens when they get into a, you know, potentially a college football playoff game? Their first test, to I mean, Notre Dame, they held to 14, Penn State, they held a 12. I'm starting to think, are those offenses really just not that good? But at the end of the day, those are still two of the three best teams that they're going to play on their schedule. Um, so I, they've done what they're supposed to do. Again, 80 points in, in eight games is pretty darn good. Yeah, no kidding. Um, you've, you've seen a lot of Rutgers this year. You've seen, obviously, a ton of Ohio State. Rutgers' deficiencies on offense were always the offensive line. It's been better this year. The issue is, is this Ohio State defensive line might be one of, if not the best in the country between JT, I'm not going to pronounce his last name, Sawyer, Williams. Is Do you think that that's just going to be the main factor in this one between those the offensive line of Rutgers and defensive line of Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's that's obviously an area. I think both sides of the ball, right? Like the offensive line versus the defensive lines, like mm-hmm. – if Rutgers is again, you know, if Rutgers is able to stay on the field and shorten this game um, by holding the ball and you know not turning it over, not shooting themselves in the foot with penalties and all that stuff, like, I think they're going to have a chance entering the fourth quarter. To, you know, they're going to be in this game. They're going to have a chance to win this game. But you know, I, I think it all starts up front with those guys. Like you can't run the ball if they can't block. You, you obviously can't pass the ball if, if Gavin's under siege all game long. Um, we saw that. Uh, last week for Ohio State, they were able to get after Wisconsin. We saw them able to get after Drew Aller throughout that game and, and slow down that rushing attack. And, you know, I, I think, you know, JT2 and Malowau, uh projected first-round pick. Jack Sawyers hasn't been the pass rusher we thought he would, but he's been one of the best run defenders in college football and has been disruptive. Mm-hmm. The inside guys, actually. No one talks about Tyleek Williams, number 91, defensive tackle. He has been 
I mean, he should, he's, he was a midseason all American. Like he has been unbelievable. And, and Mike Hall is a great pass rusher, number 51 on the interior. So all four of those, like they don't take those guys, like they don't move outside, like JT inside on third downs, like passing downs and have like a rushman mm-hmm. package like they used to with like the Bosa's and Chase Young and stuff. Like they leave those four guys on the field because they're mm-hmm. all capable of, you know, disrupting, making plays behind the line of scrimmage. So I, I do think like how well Rutgers holds up against that group is going to be, um, key in this game and and you know look last time what was the the spread in 2021 when ohio state came was like what 14 and ohio state i, I think, think it was won 14 like, and a half yeah. yeah yeah and like this is so this is that was the lowest spread i think between these two teams and now it's like 18 and a half which is similar um similar situation too like stroud like people had questions of him at that point and they absolutely like blew up and dominated like is that going to happen again or is it not and i think you know richie like to to like, to, what's the answer to that question is honestly like, how well does Rutgers' offensive line play? Because if they can run the ball and they can keep Gavin clean and let him, let him have time to find receivers, like, you know, as I said, they may not still score a ton of points, but if they can move the chains and keep time of possession in their favor and not turn it over, they have a chance to win like a, a low-scoring defensive slugfest type of game, in my opinion. <laughs> um, what about special teams? How's Ohio State been on special teams this year? Yeah, good question. Um, I'm not a huge fan. Like, I'd say once per game they have a mistake that I always say, keep saying, like, they're going to make one of these mistakes in a game where it's actually going to matter. Um, <laughs> you know, we caught early on against Maryland. They actually, the, the long snapper, like, the ball just got, like, stuck in the ground. And, like, it was a weird play, and they gave Maryland the ball and like at their own 20-yard line, and Maryland scored a touchdown and went up 7 nothing. It obviously did not end up mattering in that game, but – um, just like mistakes like that, kicking kickoffs out of bounds. Um, I forget it was the Penn State game. They had a ball go off. Uh, a Penn State punt went off one of their defenders' legs and um, gave Penn State the ball back when Ohio State would have had it in their in Penn State territory with a chance to basically like end the game right then and there. So there's been a few of those, and I it just seems like it's at least one a game. So. Rutgers better be ready to take advantage of those one a game. The kicking game's been good. The punting game's been good. Their coverage is usually generally good, but it just seems like whether it's a penalty or something like I just mentioned, there's one of those a game where it hasn't mattered, but maybe maybe in a close game it, it does matter. I know we shifted away from uh, defensive talk, but there, there was one player I wanted to single, single out for the sole fact that he was a Rutgers commit at one time, uh, Davison Igbenosin. Is he, is he CB1 for – the Buckeyes this year? Uh, he, he's two. Um, okay. They have Denzel Burke, who is has been really, really good. He's projected as I think I saw saw a Bleacher Report uh, pick actually having him go uh, to uh, to Arizona um, along with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, at like number twelve overall. They had him hmm. going, so he's he's highly regarded. Um, he's having an excellent season. Um, but yeah, they play, they basically play two outside corners. Igbenosin's the other one. Um, and he's been really good. He's been, he's been very good. He's a little grabby at times, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's been a couple penalties holding pass interference. I think that's something Rutgers could take advantage of, but he kind of brings this like a little bit of a Jersey, uh, Jersey swag, a little bit, a <laughs> little bit of a, uh, confident, almost pompous, uh, arrogant. <laughs> Oh, yeah. a little bit in That's his right. style of play, but I think it's something maybe they, they needed a little bit of attitude back there. Um, so he's been he's been pretty good for them. There's a couple other Jersey guys on the roster too, right? Cody Simon. Uh, yeah, Cody Ty- Simon. Tyler Malone doesn't really play. Yeah. What's that? 
Taiwan Malone play at all? Really? Not um, really. Not really. You know, it's his first year and he's fo- first time focusing on, on, on just football. He, he's played a little bit. I, I don't know if they're trying to redshirt him or, or I don't know. I, he might've redshirted in football last year. I don't know if he can, but, um, mm-hmm. he, he plays a little bit. Um, yeah, they got Cody Simon, Igbenosin. It's probably a couple other guys. I'm not Kyle McCord technically is, is yeah, a Jersey native. So um, couple other guys I'm probably just not thinking of right now but yeah they, they got a they got a little bit of a of a jersey jersey uh, flavor on them yeah, you guys always seem to have at least one or two um, northeast you know going back to Curtis Samuel you, you talked about the, the Rasmus Hall uh, Matt, Matt Matt Jones offensive lineman um, and if you could just keep those guys at Rutgers instead of uh, going to places like Ohio State man but we said that for years. Um, yeah, for sure. So we covered a lot here. Let's uh, let's get down to it, though. Predictions. I know you you wrote up an article for the site as your last article about you know the hypotheticals of how Rutgers can win this game. So I guess maybe I want to talk about that. So in the in the world, in the unlikely world where Rutgers does pull off the upset, what is the what is the script of that? If you're the 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 one writing it up for the the NFL's uh, scripting team. How do you write up this this win for Rutgers on Saturday? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think I kind of laid it out already. I think it's um, no turnovers, as clean as you possibly can be on penalties. You got to move the ball. Even if you're not putting it in the end zone, you got to move the ball. I mean, I will always say in games like this, you want to win it. You got to get sevens, not threes when you're down the red zone. But mm-hmm. I still think there's a formula where, you know, this could be a, 17-13, 14-10 game entering the fourth quarter, right? Um, even if you're not scoring a ton of points, I just think, you know, again, moving the ball, um, making Ohio State stay on the field, holding it as long as you can, controlling the time of possession. Again, no turnovers, limiting the penalties, limiting the self-inflicted errors. Um, you know, a special teams play, uh, a trick play, a defensive touchdown, you know, those would help out. <laughs> But I think a lower scoring physical game where you're controlling all the things I talked about, that's I really only see that as Rutgers only chance to win, um, mainly because if the if the Rutgers offense can't stay on the field as good as the Rutgers defense is and has been, they're just going to wear down. That's any team like if you're on the field and you're just constantly on the field with your offense three and out, three and out, three and out or like whatever, five, you know, six and out or whatever, like it's just. It's not. It's just not sustainable. And even if it's close for a little bit, eventually it's going to wear down. And then, like on top of that, you start making mistakes in games like that, and it's just like it's going to go south real quick. So, again, limit the mistakes, limit the penalties, hold the ball as long as you possibly can. Try to get sevens, not threes, when you're down that red zone. And you know, does Ohio State turn? Obviously, you know it's so cliche, but like. Hope for, you know, win the turnover battle. Hope Ohio State turns it over a couple times, makes a couple costly mistakes, and, you know, you just get into this dogfight. I, I, I know that that's been Ohio State this year. They've been, like, more of a physical defensive team than we've seen, but, like, I still don't think that they're fully comfortable with that style of play, and I think that's the way Rutgers wins the game. I totally agree with that. Um, you're our guest here, so what's your prediction for this game? We'll give ours after you. Yeah, I, you know, I've gone like, at first I was like, is this going to be the game where like they finally like it just everything clicks for them and they like do, what was it, like 52-13 in, in 2021? Maybe not that bad, but like, do they just mm-hmm. like go bonkers? And I, I just, 
I, I don't think so. Um, I thought that was actually last week against Wisconsin, and it should have been that they kept shooting themselves in the foot. They should have won that game like 38-7 or something like that. But, like, this week I just – I think Greg coming off a bye is going to have a really good, sound game plan. I know that they – they know that they're limited offensively. They know that. And I think they're going to come up with a few things to try and do what I said – I think for three quarters, it's going to be a fairly close game, but I think eventually Ohio State is just going to wear them down. I see Ohio State maybe being up something like 14-10 or 13-10, or like ish, whatever, very close entering the, the fourth quarter, but then just pulling away and, and winning a 27-13 game. All right, Rich, what do you think? How do you see this game see, going? This this is the tough one. Like, you sent me your prediction last night and put it in the war room, and I'm, like, looking at mine. I'm, like, son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm, like, 28-13. <laughs> I'm, like, um, so I was right there with you. But I, I do agree. I think they'll be competitive early on. I think they're going to try to run the ball. I don't think it's going to be very successful. I think this Ohio State defense is just too much for them. But, but like Alex said, it could be an ugly game for the first half or first three quarters even. And I just think the talent gap is just going to show in the later half or later part of the game. And that's when Ohio State's going to start to take off a little bit. Rutgers might score a garbage time touchdown or something like that. And that's, that's kind of where I go with like 28-13. It could be more, but I, I don't see any way Ohio State doesn't win this one. I agree. I think there are some narratives that kind of go Greg's way. Like, you know, when he has time to prepare, he typically – performs better like if you look back to opening day he hasn't lost an opening day game since 29 2009 you know he won four of his last or five of his last six bowl games the gator bowl is a big asterisk because they had what seven days to prepare for that not only for as a team but you know logistically as an organization um he plays pretty well out of buys i do think that this is like this is going to be a game that really frustrates Rutgers fans because we're going to be in it i feel like well into the second half but it's, there's going to be something where the dam breaks at some point, whether it be the defense is just on the field for too long, like Alex said, or we create, a, you know, they create a, a, a timely turnover where, you know, it looks like Rutgers is going to, you know, make some moves on offense and then gives the ball away. I do think this is going to be the best showing Rutgers has ever had against Ohio State, regardless of the score. I think it'll be the most competitive game they play. That being said, I do think Rutgers ends up losing this game, but they do cover the spread, so they are uh, they are going to continue that streak. Uh, I think they lose 27-17. I know I said 30-20 to 20 in my prediction, but I just the more I think about it, the more I think that Rutgers is going to have a hard time putting up that many points. So I'm going to do 27-17, but it will be a competitive game for the first time in the series history, which we talked about this off the pod. It's There's not a moral victory, but it, Rutgers, you have to – crawl before you can walk you have to walk before you can run and i think competing in these games is the next step where you're not just getting blown out by 40 points you're not just you know some of the games have looked more competitive than they are in in reality like i think we scored like 20 some points against ohio state in the 2000 either 2000 game or the 2001 game i think it was a 2000 game or 2020 game jesus uh, but that game was near, not even nearly that close. So I do think this is the first time Rutgers can truly say we competed on Saturday with Ohio State, um, but they still end up losing. Um, Got one more for you, Alex, before we sign off. And, and this is just more of a, a question. I kind of know the answer to this already, but I know fans have asked me previously, what, what is the feeling like amongst Ohio State's fan base for Greg Schiano? Because he, he was there for several years. 
I, I think I think it's, he's well liked. I mean, obviously, 2018 was like an absolute disaster of a year from the defensive side of the ball, and he was the coordinator. But I think mm-hmm. actually more people blame Alex Grinch for that than they do Greg. Um, Urban brought in Alex Grinch, and I think those two did not work very well together amongst a number of other issues um, within the staff that year, not to mention like the whole Zach Smith thing was happening. It was Urban's last year. <laughs> oh, His <God. laughs> health was like whatever. And he re- ended up retiring after that year. Right. So like, I think there's like, I think like nobody's like sitting there like blaming Greg Schiano. And I think like, obviously mm-hmm. seeing what he's done going back to Rutgers mm-hmm. and like bringing that program back to respectability from where, wherever Chris Ash took it. Um, is, is, I think, I think he's just very well respected. I think they like Greg. He had really, really great defense in 2016, Mm -hmm. um, which helped them beat Michigan that year. I think even 2017, they lost some stupid game to Iowa, but like he was good that like everything was good. Um, 2018 was a disaster, but I don't think, I think they like him. I know last year people like, like to the thing last year with Crookshank and the punt and like. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like as Greg said in the in the press conference, like to me that was just like a heat of the moment thing, and like I think both teams probably understand where the other one's coming from now, and and like that's just in the past. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's bad blood between um, the programs, Ryan and Greg. Even even though I know Ryan didn't retain Greg, mm-hmm. and um, especially the fan base and Greg. So so now let me let me ask you this: Who would you take in a fight, Ryan Gianno Day or Greg Schiano? Yeah. I mean, you don't. He's a Jersey guy. You don't. You don't <laughs> f with Jersey guys. Come on. I'm just man, like Ryan. Sure, he's a great dude, sure. but uh, just, you know, and he's a little younger. But uh, you know, Greg's got that that Jersey moxie. I don't know. Easy to forget. Greg was a linebacker in college too. He was. He was no. Yeah, not somebody you want to mess with. He's, yeah. yeah, he's. Uh, I do have difference. one more for you though. <laughs> I think sure. we can't go without talking about the Michigan scandal, at least a little bit. Oh, with you. yeah, you're breaking news over here. Yeah, um, you're breaking some news. Um, what What is the general I, – I know you guys obviously hate Michigan with a passion before they even you know entered this season. Is it just like an all-time level of hatred right now for Michigan amongst the Ohio State fan base? I mean, yeah, and like I don't think any of the people that I talk to are like being like, we want those games back, like – they like they didn't really beat us like even though like obviously if this all happened then it's true like which sure appears like it it certainly helped oh, yeah. um, when you even if you know as simple as like this play is going to be a run or this play is going to be a pass let alone like what type of play it is and things like that like I mean that 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 helps you so I, I think yes to answer your question yes hate is at an all time high um, I think everyone now feels like an extreme urgency to win the game this year even though. You know, right now, Ohio State is, I think, a six-point underdog in that game in Ann Arbor. Um, it's just like, you, like there was already, like, a you can't lose three in a row to these guys. But, like, now more than ever, it's like, we don't even, like, Ohio State fans don't even want, like, any penalties. To, like, it doesn't want to be like, oh, they beat Ohio State, but they can't play in the Big Ten Championship and can't, like, like just beat them. Like, shut them up. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, like, let them get penalized. I, I, I mean, look, you, you heard what Ryan Walter said last night. You hear what some of these coaches are willing or, or not willing to say. I, it's, it's wrong what they did. I mean, people are like, well, the innocent Michigan players on the team shouldn't, you know, be penalized. How about the innocent players on all the other teams that got cheated out of a fair opportunity and the integrity of the game has been damaged? And this isn't just an Ohio State lens speaking. I mean, you listen to Paul Feinbaum. You listen to 
you know, Bruce Feldman, like Pete Thamel, like these guys are, are, are like, they don't care. Like they don't hate Michigan. Even Rich Eisen has been pretty fair about it. Like, and he's a Michigan guy. Like what they did was wrong. Like you want to get into the nuances of who knew, who didn't. We can argue probably that for days, but the bottom line is clearly, you know, there's, there's pictures of this guy next to the offensive and defensive coordinator when they're on those sides of the ball, like a recruiting staffer, Eric Josephs doesn't sit next to, you know, Kirk Sierraka and tell him what plays to call or, or, you know, as an, <laughs> as a advisory guy, you know, maybe he's worried about him shaking hands with a, a quarterback recruit after the game, but during the game, he's not on the sidelines next to him. So there's enough evidence here. I think where we can all say they, they were definitely wrong and they should be penalized. I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen this season just because I don't have faith that the Big Ten or NCAA acts that swiftly. But I do think that they are going to get penalized after the year. And, and, you know, I think that's even more reason why Ohio State fans want to make sure that they beat them this year so that they don't win a national championship, even if that does get vacated later on. So, so you can't sit on the sideline of a G5 program when you're not even a part of that program whatsoever? Oh, that, well, that one's a whole other story. But <laughs> yeah, with, with, the, with, like, what the appeared Ray-Bans. to be... Ray Bands that record, you know, oh video for Jeez. a night game. Yeah, um, <laughs> interesting, right? And it's... you gotta, you gotta wonder. The guy makes like fifty k. Well, as... Tim Harbaugh didn't know who he was, so it's yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he makes like fifty k as you know the recruiting staffer, and yet if you look at all the transactions, I think they said it was like fifteen thousand dollars worth of stuff that they've bought between airfare and tickets. Like he's making thirty five k after taxes. <laughs> Like, how does, where is that money coming from? It can't just be from him unless he's spending literally half of it, the money he makes as, you know, as a GA or whatever he is. He doesn't on... eat. He, he doesn't have a house. He, <laughs> yeah. he sleeps in the big house and he just buys tickets to other games. The overwhelming level of cope and hoops, mental oh, gymnastics God. that Michigan fans are doing online to justify all this is, so bad. it is hilarious though. Like, it went totally. from like it's a giant nothing burger to everybody does it to like all of this is like half truths or mostly lies. It has been really fun it to watch from the sideline. Doesn't affect the game that much. Yeah. yeah, I compare it to like imagine if you're playing blackjack and you could see the dealer's whole card. Like that would affect the decisions you make. You're not going to win every hand, but you're going to win more right. hands than you would if you didn't know the dealer's card. And that's you the point. You walk out of there with money in your pocket. Yeah. So you're not going to necessarily win every play or have the success on offense or defense knowing what the defense is going to call, but you're at an advantage knowing it. Yeah, I, I even think it's a greater advantage than that analogy. But, yeah, that's that's a good one. The, the crazy part to me, and you don't have to comment on this one because Ohio State-Michigan beef, but their beat writers are, like, defending the shit out of him. Like, come be a little non-biased. Yeah, no comment. Um <laughs> Well, look it's at what like Tom Izzo boy-ish. said. Like, Tom Izzo at his uh, his one of the pressers he's doing preseason. He's talking to the group and he's like, "I want to ask you guys something." It's like, "How are you guys covering this uh, this whole scandal?" He's like, "Are you going to write a story on it? Are you going to write a story on it? Are you going to write a story on it? Nobody's going to write a story on any of this. We're just going to pretend it's not happening." Okay, <laughs> I guess we're just going to pretend. Yep, it's insane. So it's pretty, nobody, pretty everybody's wild. pissed off about this. Um, Look, and I, and I think there's a way to cover it, obviously, with a Michigan bias and maybe a Michigan lens. And, you know, maybe, you know, you're talking about ah, penalties won't be that bad or something like that. But it's almost they're trying to deflect and like. Well, there's no evidence to say so, but we think it was Ryan Day who who reported uh, him. Like, get, like that's clearly coming from someone inside that building saying, "Please write this, please write that." And you know what? Even if it was like, as a as a graduate fan, like 
you know, you don't want your program. Like, I do think Ohio State was very complete, like, like very cooperative in handing over whatever evidence they had, as were probably, I've heard most of the Big Ten schools and, and other schools because it is wrong what they're doing. But like, you know what? If they're cheating like that, like, I, I normally would hate like my coach kind of being like the snitch or whatever. But like, if you have the evidence and like they're cheating like that, like I don't see anything wrong with that. That's a that's a massive competitive advantage. And as you know, whoever like whoever said it, I forget it was Walter or someone else. Like that's attacking like the integrity of the game. Like that's the integrity mm-hmm. of the game. Like it's it's cheating these other kids, and it's attacking the integrity of the game. And like the whole like other schools do it. Like I'm sure other schools hit that gray area of scouting and just like they do in recruiting and other things too and whatever. No but such thing I don't think this, this level is a whole nother level, right? Yeah. Bruce Feldman did an article where he pulled 50 staff or 50 coaches in the power five at different levels, given, gave them anonymity and asked them a few questions. And one of the questions they asked was on a scale of one to five, how severe is what they're doing? Like how, how, like how big of a deal is it? And I think, I think, 90 plus percent said either a four or a five. Like this is like one of the worst things you can do in terms of a competitive advantage disadvantage. Oh, and huh. so it is, yeah. everybody understands how big of a deal this is and how badly like other teams, like you said, they do steal signs, but not to this level, not to the level of using, you know, video technology at different schools, like not actually going and physically scouting, which is against the rules, but there are ways to do it. I know Clemson was long, uh, uh, Brett and Venables, I guess, had a really elaborate way of uh, stealing signs too. So this isn't an isolated incident, but I think it is by far the most egregious and kind of uh, they just did it so blatantly too. It's like there's ways to do this without getting caught. They just kind of showed no caution at all. Yep, yep. It's 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 sloppy. I mean, that's that's the craziest thing, and it's how sloppy they've been. Um, it's it's almost like you should be penalized for that, as as, as Bruce said, I know, and um, when he was on Rich Eisen. But um, yeah, it's been crazy. I'm very curious with popcorn in hand to see what happens. I don't really care. To me, again, line up and beat them this year. Like they haven't really played anyone yet who's really capable of doing that. So Penn State, Ohio State, great chance for both of those teams to line up and beat them. Yep, for sure. Alex, we really appreciate your time. I, I, I know we, uh, we might, might have gone over a little bit what we said we were going to give you. But uh, where can the people find your work now that you're no longer yeah. at Rivals? I think a lot of people follow me on Twitter still. So at Alex Gleitman is, is still a good way to go. I'm at On3 covering Ohio State. I'm going to write, Ooh. you know, try to write about Jersey guys <laughs> as much as possible. And I'm still, you know, hopefully going to be on the board um, as much as I can be. I would love to just, like, I love, I love that board. It's, Passionate community, really, Something. really great place to talk, talk <laughs> ball. So I'll be around. Awesome. Well, really thank you for joining us. It's always fun chopping it up with you. But for me and Richie and the rest of the crew, this is another edition of the Nerd Report Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.